Welcome, everyone, to Season 2, Episode 65 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we're going to talk about Liverpool almost getting defeated by West Ham, the Chelsea-Tottenham game, and again, VAR becoming a big topic of discussion in that game, and obviously some of the biggest games, some of the bigger games that happened during the Premier League weekend. But first, we wanted to quickly mention the Europa League fixtures. Might as well throw in the uh, Champions League ones. Man City picked up a huge win against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu, a 2-1 win with seeing Sergio Ramos, the Real Madrid defender, getting sent off with a red card. A huge result for City and the Premier League because up to that point, the Premier League clubs were kind of struggling in the Champions League with Bayern Munich basically smoking past Chelsea, Liverpool losing to Atleti. Um, and then Tottenham uh, struggling against RB Leipzig. So it was good for the Premier League that City were able to come out for Pep Guardiola for a big win there. But in the Europa League, Manchester United and Wolves have moved on to the round of 16 there. However, a big shocking upset for the Premier League side is Arsenal getting knocked out by Olympiacos at home. It was a, a terrible result for Arsenal. I mean, the reports, the, the stuff I saw on Twitter was... Arsenal were basically very lethargic in the first half, and it took them a while to get them going. And they had to go into extra time. Aubameyang scores a, a beautiful bicycle kick. Um, and then maybe a couple minutes after that, Olympiacos go down the other end and score the winner and basically go on away because they scored two away goals. So a shocking result for Arsenal, a terrible result for them. Uh, for M- uh, Mikel Arteta's side that we thought were gaining some confidence and were starting to improve a little bit, this definitely sets them back. And for Tyler... Is a big upset for them because, mm-hmm. as Tyler mentioned before we start recording, he kind of predicted Arsenal to go to the final and maybe even win this competition this year. Yeah, it's the curse of the podcast, really. <laughs> <laughs> just Europa like every guys. manager. Exactly. And they're just watching. And they're like, ah, not so fast there, son. And if you're an Arsenal fan, do not go on Twitter because Ugh. it's literally just flooded with Arsenal memes right now. I, I didn't really know what's happening because when I was at work, uh, not that I'm on Twitter at work or anything, but <laughs> I just see all these memes. I'm like, what happened? I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's what happened. That's there we go. Mm. But geez, that's a that makes it a huge upset for the Europa League in particular, because now one of the big boys are out of the competition, Arsenal. Yeah. And one of the other teams that we didn't really know what was going to happen to them, Wolves, they're actually going to the next round yeah. and they did a pretty commanding job. Doing yeah, so. they won 6-3 on aggregate, I believe, against Espanyol. Mm-hmm. And if anything, uh, when we previewed the Europa League, Tyler and I both kind of predicted at that time Wolves were kind of struggling. We both thought Wolves were probably going to be the team that wouldn't even make it past the group stage. But they got past the group stage, and now they're in the round of 16. So mm-hmm. Wolves could be a potential player in the uh, Europa League. And the way they're going in the Premier League, they may even prioritize going a little bit farther in the Europa League, because why not? Yep. They're doing really well in the Premier League right now, so they could be sort of the Ajax of last year, the Champions League, that kind of that surprise team that makes a big run towards mm-hmm. the end. Yeah, Wolves are definitely being the surprise team of the Europa League, and I guess we call that the luck of the pod. The <laughs> 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 opposite of Arsenal. But I do also want to mention that Yosh's team, Manchester United, a- very, very dominant, commanding. 5-0. Despite the red card that the club Bruce defender got, oh my god, clear an Oxley, handball, Oxley Chamberlain slash Kieran Gibbs esque dive oh my to gosh. save the, and he's not the keeper. <laughs> is the keeper, and it, it's funny because Tyler and I play, we play like some soccer with our friends. Um, 
we used to not, mm-hmm. yeah yeah some backyard soccer that one of our <laughs> friends uh occasionally not even occasionally he loves to just put his hands out there whenever he sees a ball fly above his chest level mm-hmm. so it just both kind of reminded us of that you know how can you do that you know you're a professional how can you just stick your hand out there like you're the goalie <laughs> <laughs> it and makes if, no sense if you're listening you know who you are <laughs> <laughs> no need to name names right there <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh man uh shout out to polo there (laughs) Uh, uh, but yeah like tyler mentioned it was a big result for united a big result because tyler when we previewed this matchup tyler was a little bit iffy on if united could actually he both we both predicted they would get past but uh, tyler thought that united would have a much a little bit more difficult task than what i expected when i thought that they would go past club Bruges pretty easily but it was a really good result however I just want to quickly mention the Champions League real quickly. How good of a result was that for Pep Guardiola? I feel like I feel like his name has not been tarnished, but I feel like when you're t- talking about Champions League, I feel like recently a lot of people kind of overlook him as a team that can go far in the Champions League just because his team can get caught out pretty fast. But in that game, they lost Laporte to injury again. So they basically used Fernandinho and Otamendi as their center backs, yet they still beat Real Madrid. So... It was a very, very good result for Manchester City. It was like crazy because I saw that lineup and I saw Bernardo Silva at striker and I was thinking, mm. hmm, okay. <laughs> what, <laughs> he, what does Pep Guardiola have in his bag of tricks for this one? But he clearly had a good plan going into the burnabout. And with the 2-1 result, he was a little slightly lucky, in my opinion, because they did get the penalty. I don't know what Carver Hall was thinking going in on Raheem yeah. Sterling like that. I was like, he's... Not even close to getting the ball there. He's just all all man mm-hmm. on that tackle. But for Sergio Ramos in particular to get the red card and miss the second quarter or a second half or basically second, second leg, leg <laughs> saying all the all the wrong words. <laughs> but for him to miss that, that's very reminiscent of the other Champions League run they had, where he basically got a red card and then had to miss the second leg. I don't know what's with Sergio Ramos not wanting to take the second leg for these kind of games. Maybe he wants to go on some vacation, but <laughs> he's like, I've had it with this. <laughs> but as you go back to your question, this is a big result for Pep Guardiola because for now, we don't know if Man City are not going to be able to play in the Champions yeah. League in the next two years because as for now, that's that's the case. So yep. if they are going to win it, it's now or literally... Now or never. Now or never or now or not within the next three years. <laughs> so <laughs> Exactly. And... Uh, I wanted to quickly mention Benjamin Mendy would is also going to have to miss the second leg because of yellow card accumulation. So that's a big loss for them defensively too because we don't know if Laporte will be healthy um, in time for the second leg. But huge results around the Champions League. And this year, it's pretty funny because I think last year was the year of the Premier League to showcase their power in Europe. And mm-hmm. I think the Premier League is struggling quite a bit in Europe this year, especially in the Champions League uh, with Chelsea basically getting dominated by uh by Bayern Munich but I still think Liverpool have a chance. I I still feel very confident that Liverpool can get past Atletico but right now the Champions League hopes for Premier League retaining a Premier League side retaining the Champions League title is not looking too good right now if I mm. were to say so myself but that's enough of the uh Champions League and Europa League it was good good results there but transitioning over to the Premier League I want to kind of switch up the topics here. I know Chelsea Tottenham were the big, you know, blockbuster matchup that we all 
wanted. But Liverpool West Ham kind of stole the show for this game week because West Ham took the lead at Anfield, a 2-1 lead at Anfield, and it didn't last that long. Liverpool got the lead back and ended up winning 3-2. However, for those couple minutes, I think every Premier League fan, that every, every person that's not a Liverpool fan in the Premier League, we're very happy to see Liverpool losing for the first time in Anfield for a while in that 2-1 span. So I was glued to my TV for that whole second half. It was so much drama. It was so fun to watch. But, man, Liverpool found a way to get back in the game and win it. Mm, that basically 14 minutes of <laughs> West Ham having that lead. Euphoria. I was – that was not euphoria. <laughs> that, that was me pooping my pants. I was like, oh, my gosh, of all – the teams to break the streak it's West Ham on a Monday night at Anfield like what that doesn't make sense to me but sure enough Liverpool have that character that strong character as the Brandon Rodgers would say to come back and get back into this game and win 3-2 despite not having Jordan Henderson Jordan Henderson not being in the starting lineup is definitely showing which is kind of surprised to me because you know we always have been thinking he's like, all right, he's like a decent player, but he's not like a game changer. But sure enough, this season, he's really showing how much of an unsung hero he is for this team because Fabinho, he kind of slotted in for Jordan Henderson. And you'd think Fabinho is like, all right, Fabinho usually is a step up in terms of the defensive side, be able to stop anything right before that back four. It's kind of like a Wilfred and Dee kind of situation for Leicester. And then you're thinking, all right, we got this against the West Ham side who's struggling in the relegation zone. Oh, we got this. And then, sure enough, we concede two goals against this team. And we kept a clean sheet for, I believe, Man. five or six games in a row now. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, what on earth? And there is a slight thought in the back of every Liverpool fan and maybe the players' fans too, or maybe the players' heads too, were that it is the game, this West Ham game, where if they win, it will tie the Premier League record for most consecutive Premier League wins in a row and maybe that was like in the back of their heads and maybe West Ham didn't want to be also that team that lets Liverpool do that (laughs) but you know luckily Liverpool pulled through and they tie Manchester City's record of getting 18 wins in a row which is Mm -hmm. insane yeah of course Andrew Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold pulling all the assists again this game despite West Ham setting up in a 4-4-1 formation to literally just stop the fullbacks from really getting far and getting those attacks but those tactics those David Moyes tactics did change throughout the game and even that was not enough to stop the two and sure enough Liverpool get away with the win and the same Mm -hmm. basically tactics that have been going on the entire season with those two wingbacks getting mostly assists and yes you did have a stat you wanted to talk about with Trent Alexander-Arnold right with yeah so he Currently has 12 assists this season. He's the only defender to reach 12 assists this season, and he did it last season too. So that's kind of crazy to think that a right back is averaging close to 10 assists a season at this point. If he just keeps keeps this up, um, those are you know that's that's those are numbers that you want your attacking midfielder to hopefully have. That's crazy that a right back is generating that amount, that many amount of assists. Mm-hmm. And he's also the one who's doing all the set pieces from corner kicks to free mm-hmm. kicks. He's doing it all and. Sure enough, and most of the time, he's basically near the opponent's touchline of yeah, like just swinging crosses, just making chances happen from out of nowhere. It's it's insane. Like when you try to go to the park and just practice <laughs> the way Trent Alexander-Arnold crosses the ball, it's like how does how does a man do that? Yeah, or, how much how does a boy do this? 
Yeah. How does <laughs> how does one generate too much that much bend? Oh man, it it was you know the way Liverpool that mentality. I know the broadcasters kind of talk about this, talked about this after the game, but Jurgen Klopp basically installing a mindset that don't worry if we get knocked down a little bit, we still have the mentality that we are the better team, we are a strong team, we're together, and we know how to get out of this. Because even in those 14 minutes, it looked like Liverpool were a little shaky. You still, I don't know, in my, the back of my head, I just had a feeling that, you know, you know, Salah, Mane, Firmino, one of the midfielders, Wijnaldum, someone's going to make something happen. You know, you just kind of feel it. You had a feeling that, you know, West Ham were going to get a barrage of Liverpool at their best for the last closing si- closing minutes of the game. And sure enough, that's what happened. You know, they found a way to get back. Sure, it involved a little bit of luck with Fabianski committing a horrible goalkeeping error, like horrible. But, you know, if you push the button, sometimes luck will fall your way. And that's like that's what ended up happening for Liverpool. However, I want to quickly mention West Ham. I think they deserve a little bit of a shout out. I think David Moyes, I think the improvement they had from Manchester City to Liverpool was phenomenal i really like the center back partnership of albana and diop i think they really work well together and then they're right back in gakia or in gakia i hope i'm saying his name correctly yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think he could be i think he could be the right back for the rest of the season um and michael antonio i always love michael antonio he just works really hard for the team he may not have the quality of maybe a sebastian allaire However, he does give you that, you know, he's going to give you your all for the 90 minutes, no matter what. He'll just run up and down, up and down for the team. So I think that 4-4-1 setup, I think that could be something that David Moyes can kind of look towards for the rest of the season. And maybe West Ham could find themselves out of the relegation battle if they perform to that level uh, Mm -hmm. each week and each game week. And you have to give them credit because they're basically facing the best team in the league. And for them to... Yeah, in Europe, actually. And for them to get a result like this, although it was a loss, it there is some positives to take out of it. And hey, not many people could say they were leading against Liverpool at Anfield this exactly. season. So, like, little things like that, I think David Moyes will take out of this game. Mm-hmm. Man, but uh, transitioning over to Ch- Chelsea-Tottenham, the game that was supposed to basically carry all the headlines before West Ham kind of almost upset Liverpool. Chelsea beating Tottenham 2-1, Lampard getting another victory off his old boss, Jose Mourinho. However, Chelsea once again have been the center of the VAR discussion. And this time, once again, not going in their favor. Tottenham's Giovanni Lo Celso basically stomped on uh, Aspilicueta's foot. And it clearly was a stamp. And VAR reviewed it and decided it was not a red card, which... Unfortunately for Chelsea, that's just another case of VAR not going there, going in their favor. But this time they were able to pick up a big victory against Tottenham. However, for Tottenham, I really do feel for them. I think the fact that they don't have a proven goal-scoring striker um, on their squad right now, that Harry Kane and Hyunmin Son are injured, just like we analyzed last week, it's really hurting. And in this game, they really lack that creativity to uh, kind of open up a shot and, you know, have that that presence up front, I think it really hurt it. Like it just really hurt them. So Tottenham struggling to find mm-hmm. goals, which, which shows because they're basically playing two wingers at striker. <laughs> yeah. Like Bergwin and uh, Lucas Mora basically. Mm-hmm. And if this is FIFA, this, this should work, but unfortunately you can't just rely on pace. <laughs> you can't rely on pace, but I want to, I do want to go back to the VAR Lo Celso 
incident where Lacelso basically did stomp on Espelicota's leg. And Jose Mourinho, he saw this happen. He's basically like two feet away from the entire incident. And there's a post inter- post match interview where they asked him, "Hey, what did you think about the incident?" He said, "I I didn't see it." And <laughs> after the game, he basically was standing two feet away, and it, it might be that he was watching the ball instead of the incident. But how do you miss something like that? That was that's big. But I think. Jose Mourinho knows he got away with something, and that's mm. just him playing to the media, his classic Mourinho ways. Mm. But I think it definitely should have been a straight red. I don't know what VR was really thinking there. He was like, Who's "Oh, betting, the VAR people like just betting against Chelsea. Like, do they have bets that they just can't give Chelsea a favorable call in VAR? <laughs> insider like, betting right here. <laughs> this is ridiculous. This is like absolutely ridiculous. And not, I would say this for Chelsea. I think Lampard got his tactics right in this game. I think him playing Giroud. Um, instead of uh, Tammy Abraham, I think that I know Tammy Abraham is still recovering from injury, but Giroud is a proven goal scorer and he scored a pretty great goal um, in this game. And then not to mention Marcus Alonso, a guy that's kind of been scapegoated um, in the past, you know, last year and this year a little bit, ha- came up with a big goal of his own. And, you know, Marcus Alonso is a pretty quality uh, wing back. I don't know how good he is as just a defensive back, but he does have good qualities going forward. But I think they need to rely on Giroud a little bit more. I think, you know, there's a reason he was in that France World Cup squad that won the uh, that won the World World Cup in 2018. So I think they need to rely a little bit more on the meaty forehead of Olivier Giroud. <laughs> I but, think so too. And I do also want to mention Ross Barkley out mm. of the shadows, just coming in, getting an assist. I did not expect Ross Barkley to really make much of an impact this season. Mm-hmm. But in a big game like this, he just came out of nowhere, which I don't know if we're going to see more of Ross Barkley. Like right now, the competition for the squad is pretty high. But based on the formation Frank Lampard put out for this for this match, we had five defenders, basically, and then two central attacking mids. It would favor a Ross Barkley over than over, say, a Willian, Pulisic. Pedro so this is a much different change to the squad so I don't know if Frank Lampard's gonna keep this formation for the rest of the season we did see him get basically doused by Bayern Munich as well Mm. during the Champions League so Frank Lampard we gave him some stick last week on the podcast and this he got one good result and one bad result during this past week so it it I don't know what to really take from this. It's it's still a little inconsistent. That's probably like the biggest thing about that. Mm-hmm. But I think Frank Lampard is still trying to figure out what is his best starting eleven, and trying to figure out what players are best in like in certain positions. So I think in the end, despite us all talking about you know maybe can Chelsea pull it off and get Champions League football or finish top four. I think they've been getting a little lucky <laughs> based on based on the results that are happening in the past 15, yep. 14 games. It's like, all right, now they're a little bit back to earth. So we're going to have to yeah, see they, there. No, I, I totally agree. I think my little my little take a couple episodes ago about should Frank Lampard be getting a little bit more stick. I think that is something that uh, needs to be put out there still because it was coming to that point where they were reaching a lot of inconsistencies. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that now that they aren't this perfect marriage of, you know, young up and coming old legend coach mixed in with these players. I think it's a work in progress and we're seeing that. And then 
now Leicester City versus Manchester City, the battle between the two cities. Uh, City, Man City coming out on top 1-0. Uh, you know, I found this very interesting because Gabriel Jesus scored the winner in this game. And then in the Champions League, neither Jesus, I believe, or no, Jesus started in the uh, Champions League game rather than Sergio Aguero, which I thought was very interesting. And um, I believe, did Jesus score in against Real Madrid, right? Did he? I'm blanking. He... Yeah. <laughs> I just I know De Bruyne is I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like I have to go back and check the stats, but I feel like Jesus also scored in the uh, the Champions League game against Real Madrid. So again, that topic that we keep talking about, is Jesus ready to overtake Aguero? And honestly, you know, speaking from these past, you know, recent games, he looks a little bit more confident and he looks like he's more assured of what he's trying to do. Um, and he just, like I said, he just looks more confident as a player, a guy that kind of knows what he wants to do with the ball on his feet, is confident in the tricks he can play. I think, I don't know. Um, I think this season Aguero still has it, but I think I think Jesus is right there, like literally a, an inch behind him. I think he's so close to overtaking Aguero at this point, of being the main man at City. And I can confirm, it is Jesus who did score hey, against Real Madrid. Hey, look, there we look go. At that. Yush can confirm. <laughs> but I do agree with you, Yush, in that Jesus literally looks like one of those classic players that if you give him if you give him a four star skill and then give him to like a fifteen year old in FIFA, like that guy's gonna be going through and juking everyone. And that's literally mm-hmm. how Jesus plays. And Sergio Aguero, this past game, he did miss a penalty, which yep. is not the first time. And this is there has been some talks from Pep Guardiola thinking he's like, all right there might be a change in the penalty kick taker. And we did see that despite, you know, Aguero not starting against Real Madrid, we saw Kevin De Bruyne take the free or the penalty kick instead in that game. And he just slotted away perfectly. So a lot of instances are being shown where it's like, all right, there's like pieces and bits that are showing of Sergio Sergio Aguero's replacements in terms of like just roles for the team and also just goals for the team, (laughs) basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, I will say the past few games, Gabriel Jesus has been showing a lot more confidence in his ability in terms of like his dribbling ability. Like basically, whenever I think about him, I just think, all right, this is the guy who's just juking out the entire team. Then He's going flicking back, the right stick around. Yeah, flicking the right stick around and then like <laughs> seeing what happens. But every time he gets a shot on goal, it's like, all right, he should have probably shot it like three steps ago, but... <laughs> yeah he's like he just has a juke out the keeper too but i mean he did <laughs> score against real madrid there so he is getting a little better at that but there are a few times this season where i'm like man he should have just shot it <laughs> he's like mm-hmm. why is he trying to juke out the other guy who's not I, even in front of him he just had to it, walk he walked into him <laughs> and, and i would say this i think the competition in manchester city squad is really good because each time we've said that jesus is right there right on aguero's heels what does aguero do he just goes on a run a rampage of scoring goal after goal after goal because i think aguero actually i i don't know him personally obviously i'm not in there in the training (laughs) sessions but i honestly feel like he gets a kick out of you know a guy that everyone keeps talking about that could be his replacement i think he's like no I'm still the guy and you are, you're going to remember my name. So that's why he goes on these scoring rampages because he's trying to show Guardiola and everyone around us that, Hey, he's still here and here to stay for a while now. Mm-hmm. And I do want to say to kind of like switch to the rest of the team and yeah. in particular, Emmerich report, 
It's a shame that he also Ooh. got injured again. This is uh, that's not good. And he was is, I, he mm-hmm. was holding like the hamstring or his knee or something like that. It looked like he, he just re-injured something. It looks like a re-aggravation for sure. Yeah, but like if Laporte in this is something I kind of mentioned last podcast where the whole city team it just seemed a little bit more organized. Like just having mm-hmm. that rock in the back, kind of like how Van Dyke is for Liverpool. Putting Laporte in, yeah, and company was for Manchester City. If those seasons, basically the past like title winning seasons, the past decade for Manchester City. Yeah. So for Laporte to go down again, that is going to be huge for if he's out for a significant amount of time. Because I think without him, they're going to struggle against Real Madrid in the second leg. If I'm being honest, because you know Fernandinho playing center back again. I I don't think he can outmuscle <laughs> those Benzema. Or yeah, Benzema. Benzema's not really known to be that big, strong like you know Giroud hold up ball kind of player. But even then, he's, very, he's like very clever. Mm-hmm. He's very clever. Can, but... can Fernandinho handle some of those some of those runs at, when you're playing as a center back, not when you're playing as the deep lying midfielder? You know exactly. So it's it's a little tricky. There's a lot of positives to get from Manchester City this past week, but also it's just. This one little thing that actually might be pretty catastrophic if it is very serious for Laporte. Yeah, hopefully hopefully it's not too bad for Laporte. Hopefully he can come back soon. But as Tyler mentioned, it's it's not looking good defensively for City if Laporte has to miss more time than what was expected. But flipping over to Leicester City real quickly, Jamie Vardy currently on his longest goal-scoring drought of his career, which is nine games running. Um, he had a chance. He had a very good chance to basically give Leicester City the lead early on in the first half of this game, but he drags his shot wide and hits the post. And you know, for Jamie Vardy, unlike what we see at Manchester City when there is a lot of competition at the striking position, I know Leicester have Ian Acho, but come on, Jamie Vardy compared to Ian Acho, it's a huge quality difference. And even you could stick Iose Perez in there if you want to put him as a striker. But this is big. Uh, this is big news for Leicester City because. When Jamie Vardy is not scoring the goals, they tend to struggle a little bit more. And I think that's why we've seen just a little bit of dip in, in their form because I think, you know, Jamie Vardy is their man. Like, that's their leader. You know, that's the guy that, you know, that's their guy. And if he's not scoring the goals, I think, you know, overall that system, it kind of struggles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Vardy party is coming to a close. <laughs> at least. It's kind of like Pookie party. But, Ooh. but a little Vardy bit longer party. lived than Pookie. Yes. Vardy party's been going on for a few seasons now. <laughs> it's just an ongoing thing. But I, I feel like Jamie Vardy, he might mm-hmm. see that, you know, if England are desperate for a striker and he's thinking, all right, maybe I should come, come out of retirement. Maybe this could be a spark where he's like, all right, time to turn up. <laughs> but, I mean, there is Danny Ings, who's basically like the same oh, yeah. type of player in terms of Jamie Vardy, where they're just like both fast, very good at positioning and just – know how to finish just know where to stand just to like tap it in every once in a while as well so but even then i think jimmy vardy will come back for this season because leicester are in third so for leicester to get champions league football that's gonna be huge for them and if jimmy vardy can come back for these last 10 games and really just grab a goal at least per game i think that'll be a big benefit for them and retaining that top four position because it's a lot more possible now with Manchester City out of the running for the Champions mm-hmm. League spot so I think maybe there's just a little bit of complacency there where they're like hmm 
we got two spots behind us. Maybe we can lay it off. <laughs> but of course, I don't think that's the type of player Jimmy mm-hmm. Vardy is and the type of players Brandon Rogers has. They've just been overperforming this whole season. So and really showing out is like, hey, we're we're definitely business here. So I think despite this drought, I think they'll come back. And and sure enough, they did face a Manchester City side who had Emily Caport in and were kind of bouncing back from all of the backlash and drama from the band. So I think that kind of came into account. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I would say this for Vardy. I think he's still getting in the right positions, um, even with this goal that he probably should have, you know, put in the back of the net. He's getting himself in the right positions. And Vardy is a, a workman, you know, blue collar person, and he's a very hard worker. I feel like there shouldn't really be a problem of him, you know, finding his goal scoring boots again. But transitioning over to the Arsenal Everton game, Arsenal picking up a kind of a comeback victory over there. Uh, against Everton in the Emirates. However, I want to mention Everton real quickly because since Carlo Ancelotti has taken over, they look a lot more confident in their 4-4-2 system they have set up with Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin playing as the front two. Basically, I feel like Ancelotti has come in there and you remember in Everton, we kind of see, oh, uh, when they play a big team, they kind of go back three or back five. When they play a smaller team, they kind of go like more attacking or they do this, this, and this. The Ancelotti has come in to find one system and has just basically told his players, we're going to go with this system, ride or die. And I think because of that, all the players look way more confident under Ancelotti than they ever did with Marco Silva. Uh, We're seeing a goal scoring with Charleston. We're seeing Calvert-Lewin score actually a good amount of goals for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think overall, this whole system that they have set up, I think it's working really well for Everton right now. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin in particular, they're just like two players that just been like rebirthed Calvert-Lewin in particular has been scoring basically every other game and since Ancelotti's come in and even this game he scored a, a scissor kick which with the outside of his foot which is kind of like a bizarre thing to think about but I mean it's like little things like that where Everton are doing some pretty spectacular things at with their strikers but I will say it was a little rough to see Everton kind of fall apart <laughs> after they're still Arsenal the same came old Everton in. though mm-hmm. that was classic right there where when <laughs> the, the face of Ancelotti when he saw his team concede that third goal against Aubameyang it's just like how how has my team conceded a goal like this I think he's much more used to having a team that's more legends. focused and yeah I guess legends yeah <laughs> basically just knowing when to step up and knowing how to keep a lead or keeping mm-hmm. points yep. or keeping momentum even within a game. But in this game, basically Everton just took their foot off the pedal and then Arsenal just steamrolled in. And I mean, not steamrolled, but they, they got the win, the big comeback. And mm-hmm. even that, just the face of shock for Ancelotti. He's like, all right, I got some, I got some work to do here in terms of changing the team's character because that's like a big thing he's done a pretty good job so far because obviously now Everton are starting to get more results getting the goals from their strikers getting the clean sheets every once in a while or even getting the points from just games where you think oh this could be pretty even it's like no Everton comes in and getting the points Mm -hmm. and since Ancelotti's come in they've actually earned the second most points in the league behind Liverpool Nice. which is a big stat that I don't think people really think about. And that's kind of going to show how 
good of a job Ancelotti is doing and also how kind of rough the rest of the Premier League is doing. <laughs> I'm being completely honest. No, I, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I, that's why I wanted to take the time to point out Ancelotti and the fact that he's doing this well under this, the circumstances he's given with Everton right now, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what, what Everton could turn into this summer. I know that there's always super hype around Everton every season, but I feel like they, they really got lucky with getting a guy like Ancelotti to come to the club. But quickly turning over to Arsenal, I know we just mentioned they were knocked out of the Europa League, but I wanted to mention a player that uh, I think Tyler mentioned a couple episodes ago, or even last episode, is Buku, Buku, Bukayo Saka, a, mm-hmm. the left back that they're currently playing as left back, but we could potentially see as a left winger in his uh, future career. But man, this guy has the has the potential to be something special for Arsenal because he's got the skills. He's got the skills. He can cross anyone up, and he's got a great cross on him. And we've seen, like, with his uh, most recent cross, he's helped set up Enketia's goal. Enketia, again, he's the one that was started and picked over uh, under Alexander Lacazette. So it looks like now, and even Lacazette was subbed off in the Europa League game in the extra time for Gabriel Martinelli. So I'm going to just put this out there. I personally think come this coming summer, I think, Lacazette will probably end up being sold by Arsenal. I think out of the strikers, he's probably going to be the one that um, he's going to be gone. I think Arteta kind of knows what he wants out of his strikers. I don't think Lacazette is fitting that bill with his production and also just his performances. I wouldn't be surprised by that either because at this point, Lacazette is not really fitting into the system, whether it be under Unai Emery or Mikel Arteta. And... You know, occasionally he has gotten the goal as a sub, but for a player who is 50 million pounds, mm. I think it'd be more wise for Arsenal to sell them, get a little bit of that money back, and then get Enketia and Martinelli some more minutes because they're having some more promise compared to Lacazette, which is kind of surprising because, like, these two players, they didn't really pop out of. Like they they did surprise me. They weren't like a Trent Alexander Arnold where he would start every once in a while, but like literally this season they just came out and there's like all right they're just mm. big players that are just gonna be in the starting eleven now. Man, so. it that's crazy because I we mentioned we had that whole Lacazette you know segment, but man I I was so I'm so disappointed because when Lacazette joined I was like man this guy in FIFA was a beast. I mean with the pace and the the ability and everything. And then when I was like, I was so excited to see him play in the Premier League. He just really hasn't lived up to the name. And I would want to mention this. I don't like to speculate too much on these things, but um, in the Europa League game today against Olympiacos, when Lacazette was about to get subbed off, him and Aubameyang had a quick chat. Um, they were basically, you know, hugging each other or whatever real quickly. Or this was going into extra time. They were giving each other an embrace and they were just whispering some things to each other. So, you know... Obviously, you know, they're probably just wishing each other good luck and everything. But, you know, him and Aubameyang have become like pretty good friends. So, you know, maybe that's just Lacazette kind of realizing, you know, maybe his time is kind of done. Because I feel like you, as a player, you kind of know when your time is running out at a club. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was comforting Aubameyang because he knew <laughs> that he was going to have to play Europa League. Next <laughs> season. Oh, man. And I do agree that if they were to sell a striker... I think they would get more money with Lacazette just because Aubameyang is obviously older than Lacazette, mm-hmm. so his value would go down tremendously. And also, 
if they, I feel like Arsenal can't afford to sell Aubameyang. Yeah, Aubameyang is too good. I feel like Aubameyang can easily slot in as a striker for many clubs in the Premier League right now. Mm-hmm. And for a certain La Liga team in particular that <laughs> needs a striker, <laughs> uh, Barcelona. <laughs> so this is a game that it was kind of peculiar that Yoshi and I decided to both watch, but I wanted to talk about Southampton versus Aston Villa. Mm. Aston Villa is a team that I, I feel like maybe Yoshi and I have just been monitoring these past few weeks because it is starting to be a team that's starting to slip into that relegation zone. And against the Southampton side, who aren't really in that relegation talk battle anymore, they are a team that maybe Aston Villa could have gotten away with a draw or something. Mm-hmm. That was like the bare minimum. Yep. But once again, the same things happen where Pepe Reina is just all here, basically just trying to save the mm-hmm. team. And then Jack Grealish, just a class above the rest of the squad, but they just couldn't keep up. They just yeah. couldn't produce any and- of the goals from everything he's just serving yeah. to his strikers and, and <laughs> to this, this team. And this it's is so an, sad. Yeah, it's so sad. And this isn't us just running off with like some, you know, the old cliche reports of Jack Grealish as the team. But literally, I watched this game for the whole first half and it was so embarrassingly bad for Aston Villa because seven minutes in, Shane Long scores a goal. Southampton were basically on top of Villa for... On top of that, I mean, like Villa could not even get the ball out of their own half, it felt like, for the first 20 minutes or so. I mean, Villa were that bad in the game. I honestly feel for Aston Villa. Um, at this rate, they're probably going to get relegated. Uh, I, I just don't see how they can get themselves out of the situation. I think Jack Grealish is going to go after this season. And, you know, Southampton, kudos to them. I mean, they just took advantage of a team that's falling and falling pretty hard right now. I wanted to mention uh, Jenepo, their winger for Southampton. I think he could be a pretty good player in the coming years because I remember I spoke about him during when they played Chelsea at Stanford bridge and they got a result there. This guy has got a bag of trips, bag of tricks up his sleeve. I mean, he could basically do any type of skill move you want. He needs to be a little bit better with his end product, but he's a pretty exciting player. If you ever watch some Southampton games, look out for Jinnipo for Southampton. I think he can be a really good player in the future. Catch him at your next Liverpool squad (laughs) (laughs) at this rate. Oh man, but, but yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of depth in this Liverpool squad. I don't even I don't know if we're gonna be poaching <laughs> from Southampton anytime <laughs> soon. But oh we'll man, see. but yeah, Aston Villa. I think they are they're not on our toast radar anymore. They're like getting really close to toast at this point. They're mm-hmm. they're not looking too good or looking too hot right now. And another team that's up in the relegation battle with them is Watford, who lost against Manchester United at Old Trafford three nil. Watford, I would have to say, gave United a little bit of a fight in the first half. However, Bruno Fernandes, um, they got a penalty. Bruno Fernandes scores his first. Manchester United goal coolly slots home a penalty. And then Martial scoring a goal. You probably score around in the training ground. I mean, it, it was so random. I, I was just, I, he scored that? He actually attempted doing something that? Like the audacity? Oh, man. And then Mason Greenwood's left foot shot. I mean, this kid is like going to be special. I know we mentioned it beforehand, but man, I keep mentioning him, but he's going to be a pretty amazing goal scorer in the coming years because he's just such a natural finisher of the ball. I mean, everything he shoots basically goes near or close or into the net. And for Martial, I think this goal shows that he has the potential. And, you know, if he keeps on improving, he has the potential of potentially maybe leading the line for Manchester United as a pure number nine. I think he just needs to improve more. 
um, and just be a little bit more consistent. But uh, what can I say? I mean, Bruno Fernandez coming in has totally changed the outlook of United season, I would say. Yeah, I was going to say, I was like, you are mentioning all these other players, but Bruno Fernandez, that's the one player that really stuck out to me. He got the goal and an assist this game. And a lot of the attacks just started from him. He's just so confident in creating chances. Oh it's my just gosh. crazy. He knows. Um, yeah, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said he, he he basically knows the pass before the ball even gets to him. Like He knows like he can already think three steps ahead of any normal player. And he's just so creative. He's just so good. Mm-hmm. And once again, we see... Every shot, every once in a while, fly from like 25, mm. 30 yards out. And I was like, ooh. He's getting close. He's going to score a banger one of these days. I still can't believe Manchester United got him. <laughs> I was about I'm to like, say, oh how they, I feel like a lot of people had to know this guy was this good. How did he, how did, how did no one, no other European club buy him in the summer? You know? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> this he's, is, he's OP. He's insane. I mean, I'm really glad. I know when Eric Krakauer was here, there was talks that maybe Jose Mourinho was looking to bring him at Spurs. I don't know how much he could thrive in a Jose Mourinho system, if I'm being totally honest. I feel like you wouldn't really be getting the best out of him. I know Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a lot of people don't say he's like a world-class coach, but I feel like with this system, he's a little bit more free-flowing than Jose. I feel like because of that, it's allowing Bruno Fernandes to kind of show off his quality and show off the ability that he has on it on his feet but i want to quickly mention this stat since manchester united lost at burn lost when burnley beat manchester united at old trafford 2-0 those four weeks have passed united have five wins two draws and in those seven games they've scored 18 and conceded one goal Woo. that's pretty good i would say for a seven game stretch for a united team that has been very inconsistent all season that is some big improvements right there, right in time for the Europa League as well. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that. And also, I feel like they're peaking at a good time to finish the season strong. But mm-hmm. I really do have to kind of echo Yushin that this system does fit Bruno Fernandes and really vice versa, where Bruno Fernandes really brings out the rest of the players on Manchester United. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if he did go to a Tottenham team, he'd be in a similar situation as like Deli Ali, where it's just the this team is a lot more structured, a lot more rigid, and it just be a little bit more frustrated and a little bit more isolated at times to the point where you're going to see him, maybe like Deli Ali, storm off the pitch after throw a water getting bottle. subbed off and yeah, throw a water bottle on the floor, <laughs> throw a tantrum. <laughs> but he's flourishing right now, and we kind of saw a little glimpse of that when during his debut against Wolves those couple or those few weeks ago, and it was like, dang, they're heavily relying that Manchester United squad on Bruno Fernandes and they're still doing that. And it's actually working, (laughs) which is a little crazy. I think it's also, they're relying on him, but I also think because now the players are confident that if they make the attacking players are confident now that if they make runs, Bruno will find them or another player will find them. I think when you see, when you have a guy that's very creative and is not very scared of making the long pass or attempting a pass, I think it encourages other players to try that and also, you know, it keeps players like Martial, Dan James, and, you know, whoever's playing on the right wing, whether that's Greenwood or whoever, it encourages them to continue making runs because they know if they continue making them, Bruno will find them or another player will find them. And that just opens up more space. And it also helps that they're getting their midfielders back. 
Um, Scott McTominay came back in this game as a sub, and then he also scored a goal in the Europa League. And then there's reports. There is reports. I, I, I'm reading that Paul Pogba could potentially be back in the substitute or back in the team sheet for the Manchester City game. So, you know, if you throw in Bruno Fernandes with a midfield of Paul Pogba or Scott McTominay or Fred, Bruno, Paul Pogba, that's a pretty solid midfield. And I just also wanted to point out real quickly, Pereira, Andreas Pereira and Jesse Lingard did not make the bench for this game. And Solskjaer basically said when you have, he basically said there's a lot of competition in places. And if you're not performing, you don't, you really just don't get to play. And man, how good was it to see Andreas Pereira and Jesse Lingard not be featured in the starting 11 or on the bench for Manchester United? (laughs) (laughs) Some some big memes right there. I don't know how they're getting the start or even getting a spot in the team Mm -hmm. for this whole season. And now it's like, all right reality check (laughs) it's amazing hitting them it's amazing this is my last point with the united it's amazing how much of a difference you get when you have a midfielder that can actually create and score goals consistently it's amazing how much of a difference that makes in your midfield i'll just leave that (laughs) out there but man a good result for united united are kind of on a buzz right now on a on a high right now but another team that's doing really well is barnley vidra scoring again and beating bournemouth three nil Bournemouth, Eddie Howe, we put our faith in you. And you're getting really close to that relegation battle, man. Eddie Howe, I hope Bournemouth stays up because I really like the culture they have. But, ooh, Eddie Howe's got some problems right now. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I feel like he's not getting the best out of the current players he has in that attack, at least, because the defense is a little wonky. They're not, they don't have Nathan. Always always been wonky under him. Yeah, that's true. But it is really more so he's not getting the most out of his strikers Mm -hmm. and Josh King, Callum Wilson and Harry Wilson. These three, although the, the first two have been more consistent in the past few seasons, getting goals, Harry Wilson has had some sparks this season, but they need he needs him them three to really be consistent and really pull through otherwise we might see them every week in this relegation battle like conversation which is something you don't want to be in for mm-hmm. this podcast at least <laughs> yeah i mean how about burnley i mean i think they're only a couple points after i think they're only a couple points away from cuz the the basically from 8th i believe from to 6th i mean the point gap isn't that much I mean, they've totally kind of turned their season around. I mean, because I remember at one point in the beginning half of the season, we were kind of fearing for Burnley. But Sean Dyche, man, finding a way to score goals with, you know, with his strikers and then Vidra scoring again. I think mm-hmm. I think Burnley are a good example. If you if you have a style and you're very if you have a style and you kind of stick to it and very disciplined to it. Sure, you may not, you know, the way they play they're they're probably not going to, you know, reach for third place like Leicester are. But they're probably going to be a very solid team in the Premier League because no one likes to play them, and they're very tough, very rough, but they find a way to win. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing that the past few seasons. It's, it's Burnley always stays in, kind of like Bournemouth, but Bournemouth this season, not doing what's it. happening. It's, Ooh, not, it's not happening. And another team that is it's not happening right now, and unfortunately for them, not this season, is Norwich. They lost the Wolves at the Molineux 3-0. Diego Jota and Jimenez scoring. And I believe Ruben Neves also getting the scoring sheet. But uh, the bigger topic I want to leave here is we mentioned with Santo, Nuno Espirito Santo, we don't think he's going to leave to coach a a different team. 
um, next season. However, there are some really good players on this Wolves team that I unfortunately I believe will probably make a jump to a bigger team in the summer, a team that's probably going to be in the Champions League. I'm looking at players like Jota, uh, Jimenez, Ruben Neves, um, possibly Adama Traore, but um, if I were to pick, I think Ruben Neves and Raul Jimenez will probably end up leaving uh, this coming summer to join a different team. Hmm. I feel like Raul Jimenez definitely does have the chance because he is one of the top strikers in the Premier League. Ruben Neves, I still feel like he has some development left in him at Wolves, and I feel like Wolves have been his, a very good spot for him to develop, and I would stay another season if I were him. And, you know, maybe he might even get a bigger move if he stays another season. You know what's crazy? An even better player. Hmm? I'm going to get this. I'm going to guess Everton find a way to sign Ruben Neves in the summer. Oh, that's that's a hot take right there. <laughs> Ruben Neves is not even on that level of he, he had the potential to be very good, but just didn't really turn out. I feel like he still has room to grow. But the player, I think... From this Wolves team that will make a big move is Adamachari because he's literally a player that is so rare because he's just literally in terms of physicality just such a yeah just pace strength like you just can't really and like the dribbling ability as well it's just and also the crossing ability as well this season he's second most crosses behind Trent so literally a player like this is very hard to find and he's a lot more developed than when he was at Barcelona and Middlesbrough and of course a lot stronger too so I feel like because of this kind of physique and just rare package of abilities in just one player I think he has a potential to go to a big team because think about it it's like you think about most soccer players you think it's like ah like a Riyad Mahrez kind of shape or like that kind of build where you know it's like lean yeah, the Dama Traore stuff is pretty interesting, but quickly moving on to the predictions for this weekend. We got some uh, okay matchups. Uh, the first one is Everton versus Manchester United. This will be at Merseyside um, at Goodison Park. It's going to be a very good matchup, especially Ancelotti being as tough as he is. However, I think with this recent run of results and Bruno Fernandes being in the lineup and the fact that United are getting more players and more their squad back together, I actually think United will probably can probably escape away and get a two. I'm going to say two nil victory over Everton. Two nil victory. Hmm. I think with Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin being in the form that they are in, they have the opportunity to really nickel. But given United have been keeping clean sheets and only conceded one goal, as you said in the past few games, it's a little hard for that. But I still think. United will get the win, which is a little crazy to say at this point in the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or in the very beginning of the season, it was very much opposite. But mm-hmm. I think Everton will make it very close. But I think it will be a 2-1 to Manchester United. And either Richarlison or Dominic Cavalier-Lewin will get that one goal for Everton. I can see that. I can see that. And then moving over to Watford versus Liverpool, this will be a huge... If Liverpool do end up winning this game, which I think they will, I think quickly, I think Liverpool will probably win this game... Hmm. I would say 2-0. But if they do win this, they will break the record of the most consecutive wins in the Premier League in a Premier League season. So I'm going to go for a 2-0 Liverpool victory and them breaking more records. I think this is going to be a very close match. 
actually, because it's a lot of pressure, low-key. Not that Liverpool can't hold up to the pressure, but it's just going to be a lot for Watford also to not be that team that lets Liverpool break that league. So this is the game, the reverse fixture, where Mane scored the insane backheel goal. And I think something special like that will happen again, and Liverpool will break that record, and Liverpool will win. I don't think it'll be 2-0, but I think 2-1. Unless Jordan Henderson plays, then it'll be 2-0. Ooh, all right. It, it's going to be it's gonna be a very good game to watch, I think, that one. And then we have the Spurs-Tottenham versus Wolverhampton Wolves game. This game, unfortunately, will be on NBC Sports Gold. I saw on the schedule. And Everton-Manchester United, who are in the same time slot, will get the TV coverage. But this game will be... If you know, if you have NBC Sports Gold and you have the opportunity to watch it, I think this game will be pretty fun to watch. However, Jose Mourinho losing against Leipzig, not having a striker, the way Wolves like to play, both teams that like to play on the counterattack. I think I'm going to roll with the Wolves, actually. I think, you know what? Scratch that. I think this oh. game will actually end up becoming a 1-1 draw, I think, oh, the more okay. I think about it. The more I think about it. I was about to say, I was about to agree with all your predictions this week, Yosh, except now. I think Wolves <laughs> are actually going to get the win. I think Ooh. it's going to be a 2-1 victory to Wolves. Spurs, once again, are going to be struggling to score with Spurs. Spurs going to Spurs. Spurs going to Spurs. I think it'll be a, a tough game for them, and they're going to get one late in the game. It's going to be kind of sloppy, but I think Wolves will come in with a 2-0 lead first, and then... Spurs nick one back in the very end. It'll be two one to Wolves. Mm. Yeah, that that's gonna be that's gonna be a good game to watch. But other than that, that kind of does it for us for episode sixty five. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening. Please rate, comment, subscribe. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear all your thoughts. But yeah, that kind of does it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. Peace. Peace. Peace.